Our next speaker is Kate Craney. Kate Craney is a Master of Science student in botany and a fledgling artist. She says a fledgling artist. She's a great artist. You should check out her website, katecraney.com. Uh, Kate grew up on an isolated property in Western Queensland, studied environmental law and recently moved to Melbourne from the Torres Strait Islands. She has an irrational love of weevils, hawk moths, and most members of the class in sector. Kate. Okay, good evening. Uh, tonight, I'm going to tell a story of insects and illustration. Uh, it's a 10-minute ode to the overlap between science and art, a kind of intertidal zone polyps with ecological metaphors. I felt a little giddy to tell you the truth about speaking here tonight. Uh, not only is it my first Lavora story night, but unlike Lavora stories before me, I'm not yet an expert in any of my uh, many areas of interest. I'm a fledgling artist, um, the Erin is being very kind in saying otherwise. Uh, I'm a budding botanist and in the larval stages of any future career as an entomologist. <laughs> uh, but I am interested in most things about science. And uh, for this reason, uh, I've chosen to talk about uh, someone that crosses the divide between science and art. Two women that were considered the Bronte sisters of the botanical world. So Harriet and Helena Scott were born in Sydney in the 1830s, around the time that the city of Melbourne was founded. Their mother was the daughter of, an, of a convict, an ex-convict, and their father an entrepreneur and amateur entomologist or insect scientist. When the sisters were teenagers, their family moved from Sydney to Ash Island in the Hunter River estuary. And they were the sole inhabitants of the island, which was incredibly remote at the time. So this allowed them to have uninterrupted forays across the island where they, supported by their father, they went about collecting and recording a lot of the plant and animal species of that area. As an adult, Helena reflected, the scent of native flowers is always associated in my mind with the days when we were children, taking long rambles in the fragrant bush. My sister and I grew up on an organic sheep and cattle property in Western Queensland. Our farm was in drought for most of our childhood, so, unlike the Scott sisters, we had little time for long walks in the fragrant bush. We did, however, do our fair share of exploring and collecting. We collected itchy grubs, huntsman spiders and quails, microbats, death adders, and skinks. At school show and tell, while other girls presented their doll collection, I proudly showed the class the flaking skull of a dead feral cat. <laughs> when it did flood, my sister and I would slosh around the paddocks, collecting hapless tadpoles, yabbies, crabs, and floating rafts of bull ants. During the drought one year, we found a sheep upside down in a water trough. Long dead, its exposed gut, it, sorry, long dead, it's, uh, it was strangely both rigid and waterlogged. Maggots were happily hatching in its exposed guts. Centipedes crawled across its wall. It was equal parts disgusting and enthralling. And I can only imagine how much fun the Scott sisters had with an entire subtropical island to explore. And so, for 20 years, the Scott sisters meticulously collected and illustrated the plants and animals of the area. 
the studies of butterflies and moths were to become part of their father's work, Australian Lepidoptera and their transformations. And it's interesting when I was reading about them to note that before the Scott family, uh, the majority of uh, insects were actually drawn by European uh, taxonomists of the time. And they were done from long dead and uh, pin specimens that lacked colour. Uh, the Scott sisters, on the other hand, had learnt a lot about insects at the time and they'd actually learn about the plant species that uh, the insects lived off, so they'd hand-reared those insects, and they drew, they drew them from when they were still alive. Uh, because of that, their artwork was described as vivid and true to life, true to life and so their reputation grew. Uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald, the prominent natural historian, William Swainston, uh, praised the Scott sisters' work as equal to any I have ever seen by modern artists. He wrote that the force of painting can go no further. Every tuft of hair in the caterpillar, the silken webs of the cocoon, or the delicate and often intricate <coughs> pencilings on the wings of the moth stand out with a prominence of relief. Together, the Scott sisters spent their, their lives collecting and drawing for prominent scientists in Australia and abroad. They produced most of the art for the scientists at the time, drawing insects, wildflowers, snakes, birds' eggs, mammals and shells. And by this time as well, so aside from just being artists, the Scott sisters had acquired considerable knowledge about the Australian plants and animals. Notably, they depicted the complete life cycle of insects, poorly documented at the time. They received high praise for their research and were described as accomplished naturalists and collectors at a time when women were unable to pursue careers in those fields. Harriet once wrote, I have a great desire to distinguish myself in some way or another, and if I were only a man, I might do it. Clearly, I ought to have been born Harry Scott instead of Hattie Scott. Nonetheless, Hattie and Harriet were considered Australia's first professional artists. And in 1868, they became honorary members of the Entomological Society. And this was a rare distinction for women at the time. The sisters died in 1907 and 1910, both in their late 70s. And soon after that, women were allowed full membership of the Entomological Society. And the Scott sisters, they paved the way for many other female artists, naturalists, like Ellis Rowan. Uh, Ellis Rowan was born in Victoria in 1848. Described as petite, plucky, and always immaculately dressed, she was prolific, creating over 3,000 works across her lifetime of plants and animals from, from Australia and from overseas. And so aside from winning many art awards, she also contributed greatly to the scientific knowledge of the time. But what I like most about her is that she was incredibly adventurous. As a young adult, she resolved to travel the world in search of flowers rare and wonderful to countries inaccessible. In the late 1800s, when travel was fraught with danger, when it was particularly dangerous for women, she set about finding and recording every wildflower species in Australia. And so Ellis Rowan ventured solo to far-flung areas of Western Queensland, Western Australia, tropical North Queensland, and even to the Torres Strait Islands. But following her husband's death, she continued to travel, painting plants in New Zealand, America, and the Himalayas. Uh, noting Ellis's obsessive commitment of ambition and unbiased self-promotion, her niece once humorous, humorously wrote, 
the people always helped her either because they were mad about her and forever her blinded slaves, men and women alike, or because they found her altogether too odd and were frightened by her. <laughs> I like that she was peculiar. She often bluntly, blatantly contradicted herself and was known to tell quite exaggerated stories. Fascinated by the tropics, she once wrote to her husband, my first walk in the tropical wild jungle, I cannot forget. I entered, sketchbook in hand, by a narrow little pathway, probably made by an alligator. I kicked, as I thought, a snake. Oh, sorry, I kicked, as I thought, a stick aside. It was a snake, and quick as lightning, it darted off while I turned hot and cold in turns. On the same trip, she clambered, um, she clambered out on precarious ledges to record orchids and sundew, and she suffered bruises, black eyes, fevers, sunburn, and stinging nettle. She was quoted as having a fiery, intense vitality in a, most seeming, in a seemingly most fragile personality and possessing a power of endurance which strong men might envy. For instance, in 1917, at the age of 68, she travelled to Papua New Guinea by herself in a near-successful attempt to paint every single member of the Bird of Paradise group. When she was in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, she contracted malaria and was carried down the mountain on a stretcher. With her health failing, she returned back to Australia and shortly before her death, she staged Australia's, at the time, Australia's largest art exhibition showing 1,000 works of animals and plants from around the world. She died in 1922 at 74 years of age. Uh, in her autobiography, Ellis Rowan explained my love for the flora of Australia, at once so unique and so fascinating, has carried me into other colonies, to Queensland, and some of the most remote places of this great continent of Australia. The excitement of seeking and the delight of finding rare or even un unidentified specimens abundantly compensated me for all difficulties, fatigues and hardships. So Ellis Rowan and the Scots sisters were scientists and artists, meticulous in their observation of nature. I admire these plucky, intelligent women, and I also like the fact that they were all considered a little bit odd. Thank you.